You are listening to a sermon from MCA Church. To learn more about our community, head online to mcachurch.ca. Thanks. It was a very disruptive day. November, uh, November, February 27th of last month was a very disruptive day here in Kelowna. Do you remember where you were in February 27th? Well, if you're like me and there's getting feedback, do I need to go somewhere, Stephanie? (laughs) We're just having, that's okay. I'm wondering if I'm near the guitar thing since I took this. See, this is disruptive too, so. <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna continue to, uh, to talk here. So, do you remember where you were on February 27th? Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time remembering breakfast. So, let me do a little refresher of what happened on February 27th here in Kelowna on that disruptive day. About noon, a suspicious object was found over by uh, the corner of Wendy's and uh, where Harvey's is. And it turned out to be a pipe bomb. And so the police, recognizing that it was a suspicious object, closed off Harvey and a huge section around this area right here and called the bomb squad from Lower Mainland to come up. The normal routines of the day were disrupted. Uh, Out the front here on Springfield, there was just a gazillion cars as they rerouted from Harvey and going down one way or another. People needed to find a new route. Those of you who had to pick up kids, you had to adjust your schedule, you had to figure out if you used Harvey or the area around how to get there. The routine of the day was disrupted to give extra time. Going to or coming home from work, even doing work was disruptive. What was planned, thought about, schedule needed to be reworked. Jesus loved to teach in parables. Parables are disruptive. They are stories that are aimed at changing the route that we take. The schedule of, that we have of our lives. They change our assumptions in the best way possible. They detour us and invite us to consider going a different way. God isn't destructive like a pipe bomb. However, he is disruptive because he's compassionate and good and our creator. His people, you and I, have ways of viewing God, of what He's like, and what He should be doing, and we have ways of viewing ourselves and what we should be doing that sometimes are not healthy or helpful or even true. He disrupts from a place of goodness and compassion. So this morning, we want to look at another one of those disruptive parables, and that's in the Gospel of Luke. So join with me. Uh, Read along in your Bibles or in your cell phone, Luke chapter 13, we'll be reading verse 18 to 21. If you prefer to use the Pew Bible, it's on uh, page 728, 
And for those who can, you can see it on the screen. Listen to the words of the Lord. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds, 27 kilos of flour, until it worked all through the dough. The word of God to his people. What is the kingdom of God, Jesus mentioned? What's the kingdom of God like? Jesus talks about the kingdom of God over a hundred times in the Gospels. It was a really important theme for him. Among other things, the kingdom of God is all about God's good rule and his character and what he's up to and how he involves us. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world and then the end will come. In context, many of those who are listening had a skewed view of God and what he should be doing, and what he was up to. They had this picture of the kingdom of God, which wasn't actually accurate. And so a couple verses before, we see that uh, Jesus, on the Sabbath day, there was a woman who was sick, and Jesus healed her. And the Sabbath was created for for, uh, us to celebrate God's presence and his goodness, and his awesomeness. And the religious leaders of the day had a very uh, strict view of what God should or shouldn't do on the Sabbath day. And Jesus violated that by healing this woman. And then his listeners, as they listened to this parable, would have this view of the coming of God, the coming of the Messiah, that he would come as a warrior king with power and awesomeness, and he would liberate the people of God from the dreaded Romans. That was the picture of God, that he would come visibly and powerfully, and that he would be a warrior king. You know what? You, we, too, have our, our view and perspective on God, right? Some of it true and right, but others slightly skewed. So Jesus, with compassion, takes us on a journey, takes us on a journey of once again seeing God and who he is and who we are. He says, actually, the kingdom of God won't be like that. And he tells them a parable. Let me read that for us again. Then Jesus asks, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it? Is it like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden? It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all its way through. Bible scholars call these twin parables, twin parables because they go together. They say the same thing in different ways. 
Jesus uses a simile, uses something that people would know a lot about in order for them to understand and connect the dots. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a mustard seed and to yeast on how God has chosen to work now. A mustard seed. Now, for the original hearers, that would make a lot of sense to them. But I don't know about you, but I don't know a lot about agriculture. I'm a city kid. I grew up in inner city Hamilton. And there was a lot more concrete there than green stuff. And for a long time, I thought tomatoes came from aisle 13 of the grocery store. And there was so much acid rain from the steel companies of uh, Hamilton that I still slightly glow in the dark at nighttime. But it's great for saving electricity. I digress. Most of you would know that a mustard seed actually is something very, very small. Apparently, it takes 750 mustard seeds to make one single gram. Yes, somebody probably counted out those seeds. They are small and insignificant, and yet they grow into this incredibly huge tree. A mustard tree stands apparently two and a half to three and a half meters high, about eight to 12 feet. And yeast. How many bakers out there? How many bakers? Not that many. Oh, I see some hands reluctantly going up. Ruth Ann makes amazing bread. When you walk in the house, the aroma spreads out through the house. Digress again. Incredible to see here that there are 27 kilos of wheat. Apparently, that was enough to make bread for 150 people. And to do that, there was just a little bit of yeast that was worked in, worked through with incredible results. With God, there's always more going on than what we can see. Like a mustard seed, the kingdom of God, the work of God starts small and seemingly insignificant, yet exponentially grows. The audience were expecting the arrival of a conquering king and a parade like a, a military general of their, their age to walk into the city. Not so the way of God right now. Yes, in other places, Jesus talks about when he will come again, and he will come, and it will be visible, and he will establish uh, his realm and rule in our world. That would be awesome. But in the meantime, God has chosen to work a different way. For now, the kingdom of God is unfolding like a mustard seed in a way that apparently doesn't look earth-shaking. And Jesus invites him, us to enter in, to be with him, to be transformed, to become like him, and to enter into what he's doing. And over time, the results will be amazing. Consider the flow of history. We know the story. In the gospel, Jesus chose 12 people. The majority of the people, as we come up to Passion Week, as we come up to Easter, we know what happened. Those 12 people, they abandoned him. They ran away. And Jesus, in the plan of God, 
went to the cross and was crucified and died and was buried, but rose again and ascended to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit. And those 12 and others that were followers of Jesus had the presence of Jesus present in them. And they began to be transformed. And they began to move out and live in to what God was inviting them to do. And the results were incredible. According to some commentaries, Peter went to Rome. Thomas went to India. James went to Spain. Matthew went into North Africa and then down into Ethiopia. Bartholomew went up into modern-day Armenia. In the book of Acts, we see normal, simple, everyday people like you and I spreading out into the world, spreading out into their communities. There's a uh, church historian and sociologist called Rod, named Rodney Stark. He was a secular academic who, part of his research, he wanted to investigate the growth and spread of Christianity during the first three centuries. As a result of his research, he became a follower of Jesus because of the huge impact. One of his books is called The Rise of Christianity, How the Obscure, Marginal Jesus Movement Became the Dominant Religious Force in the Western World in a Few Centuries. Wow, that's a long title. <laughs> but a powerful one, isn't it? absolutely mind-blowing from a tiny group of people that weren't that strong. And then Pentecost, and then this spread through the first century. According to his research, probably about 1% of the Roman Empire were followers of Jesus at the end of the first century. After the second century, 17% of the Roman Empire were followers of Jesus. And by the end of the third century, well, Constantine, a Roman emperor, became a follower of Jesus, and he declared that all Roman citizens should become Christ followers. Perhaps not the wisest thing to do, but it shows the incredible power of the, the mustard seed and the presence of God spreading across the world. Today, over 2 billion people around the world are Christ followers, probably more. Today, across this planet, people are gathering like us in different places and different spaces. Some have met already hours ago. Some will meet later in all kinds of language, in all kinds of cultures, in all kinds of context. And Father God delights in that. Jesus talks about this tree that spreads out and all the birds can come and enjoy it. In the Old Testament, a big, flourishing, beautiful tree was one of the pictures of the blessing of God for his people, the provision of God. God powerfully at work. What seems so small and invisible and seemingly insignificant, like a mustard seed, has mind-blowing spread. Like yeast, the impact of God at work in and through his people expands, rises, and changes everything. In another book, Stark talks about, uh, has one chapter that's called Misery and Mercy. 
And he talked about the cultural and social impact of Christians in that, those first centuries. He talked about the fact that, that, that Jesus was born into a time in history that was horrendous socially. A culture, Roman culture, that despised the weak. Women and the sick and the poor and slaves and anybody that didn't have power. In Sparta, for example, infants that were born that were not healthy were exposed. That meant that they were carried to the garbage dump and laid there to die. And Stark explains how Christians became aware of this, and they would be the ones who were the rescuers. They would go out and rescue those abandoned children. And that Christians would begin to uh, establish places of healing, physical healing, of looking after people. Began schools. And as we see across the history of, of, of especially the Western culture, of schools and hospitals and ways of impacting culture in a good way, we see countless examples of that. We see that within the uh, understanding of the cosmos, that there is an intelligent creator of all things, that science uh, uh, could flourish and grow in that because the cosmos has order and beauty and we can explore that and dive in. Sadly, that's true. Many who have called themselves Christ followers have done horrendous things in the name of Jesus. We need to take ownership of that and repent of that. But the leaven of the goodness and the power and the transforming work of God has worked through cultures in which the presence of Jesus has been there. And so Jesus says, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? A mustard seed and yeast. However, there's more. Jesus will come back. Everything will change. In the meantime, we live in the messy middle between Jesus coming one day and when Jesus first came. And in the messy middle, you and I have a huge role to play. Let's look at this parable one more time. Luke chapter 13 says this, Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast that a woman took and mixed up into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all its way through the dough. Notice something? Jesus specifically mentions a person involved. It's a person who takes the seed. It's a person who works the yeast. Yes, the power is ultimately in the seed. Yes, it's the yeast that ultimately causes the growth, but people are involved. Each parable involves a person, a person like you and me, simple, ordinary people invited to participate in what God is up to. 
I believe that God has several invitations for us. The first one, like the mustard seed, what seems to us like small and insignificant actions, God can powerfully work through. Like the seed, God takes the everyday actions of our lives and works through them. What seems insignificant to us can make a huge impact with God at work. You know what? Every one of us have 168 hours in a week. We spend about two uh, hours together gathered you know, beforehand, our worship time, and then afterwards talking. And then we scatter, and we have about 166 hours. We scatter into different places and to different places and spaces. Jesus is present in us. He's inviting us to walk with him and be with him and increasingly be transformed like him and to enter into the things that he's doing around us. When we pray for our neighbors, God is at work. When we figure out ways of helping others, God is at work. When we allow our character to be changed, God is at work. When we as parents, we as single people, we as grandparents, we as spouses, when we as human beings uh, say, you know what, I'm sorry, I've blown it, I was wrong. I want to change, and Jesus is going to help me. When we speak that out, God can use that in a powerful way. When we allow ourselves to enter into what God wants us to do, God works through that. When we take time and actually listen to a person, God works through that. When we make eye contact with a person and help them be seen, God can work through that. When we give a person the time of day, God can work through that. When we serve, God can work through that. Uh, Lyle Bellamy is involved in our men's circle. I uh, sent out an email, and he just talked about some of the values, some of the things to live out uh, for one of our groups. And he said this, in the men's circle, we practice the three A's. You'll be acknowledged when you come in, you'll be accepted into the circle, and you will be appreciated for your input. An atmosphere of belonging. God can work through that. Like the mustard seed, what we think is small and insignificant, just living out our lives, God can powerfully work through that. And when we share Jesus and what he's done in our life and what he's doing in our life, God works through that. And what a difference he's made in our life, that he's changing us. God works for that. God, for those are some of the ways that God works through us. We haven't even talked about the use of our time and our treasure and our talents and our spiritual gifts. But God has chosen us to work through. Like a mustard seed, what we think is small and insignificant and living out into those 166 hours, God is at work. Another invitation. Like yeast... Our presence and involvement in people's lives can make a huge impact. 
Look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bow, bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt, light, yeast. Powerful pictures. Light, just imagine of, of thinking of the different places that we live around Cologne. Imagine if we had a huge map of our city and uh, we could see West Kelowna and Lake Country and all the different neighborhoods of, of Kelowna. And we began to plot out where you and I live. And so just in that, that geographic map, and just think if the only thing that we did was to continue to pray for our neighbors and pray for our neighborhoods and pray for what God is doing. Just imagine it be like a, 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 a map that's initially dark and then there's all these points of light, you and I, the presence of God in us, praying that God would be at work, praying that we know how to join him in that. Powerful. Jesus says, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? I'm present and working through my people. And a final invitation. Like the persons in the parable, God's invitations are unique and personal to each one of us. In the story, one person planted the mustard seed, the other person works in the yeast. That's a great picture of the kingdom of God. Every one of us have unique and personal roles for living out and joining the purposes of God. Not all of us are like Pastor Keith, who's been called to, to be our lead pastor. A little bit of sidebar, we, we really need to help Keith because he votes for, he cheers on Manchester United. I think we really need to help him when he could cheer for Liverpool, but we digress. Not all of us are junior high students. Not all of us are at UCB, UBCO. Not all of us are retired. Not all of us are grandparents. Not all of us are parents. Not all of us are married. Not all of us are single. Not all of us are working in the trades. Not all of us are in health, health sciences. Each one of us have our distinct place, our distinct sphere of influence, the places where we work, the places where we live, the families that we have, the friends that we have, the sports that we might uh, participate in, the pickleball group that we're a part of, living out our 166. We have distinctive spheres of influence, the people that we walk alongside. Each one, we also have a different stage of life. Some are quite young, some are older. And with each age, there are some restrictions, right? There are some realities. And God doesn't expect more from us than to live into those realities. And I think many of us are older. Yes, we don't have the same physical capacity, uh, but there's still lots that God has for us. 
We are in a life stage, and God is at work, and God invites us to join in what he's doing. I believe that God is stirring us as a church family. And we're not the only church family in Kelowna. There are other followers of Jesus, and he's doing the same thing with them. He's giving us a fresh vision of moving out and joining in what he's doing. Fresh invitations to live into the fact that he is powerfully at work, like a mustard seed, like yeast. Count Nicholas von Sinzendorf was born in Germany and was a leader, Christian leader, during the the 1700s. Uh, He was a wealthy landowner and uh, led a property, invited groups of Christians to come. And one of the things that they established was something called the Society of the Mustard Seed. And the purpose of the Society of the Mustard Seed was to gather together and to begin to pray and to ask Jesus, Jesus, what are you doing? And how do you want me to enter into that? And so groups would form and they would pray and they would ask Jesus that question and they began to have that sense uniquely and personally for each person and then they would support and pray and walk with each other as they moved out into their world. And it all started by asking Jesus a question. Jesus, what are you doing around me and how do I enter in? I'd like for us to take just a moment in quietness and reflect with Jesus and ask him that question this morning. Jesus, what are you doing around me and how do you want me to enter in? So let's just take a couple of moments, quietness. Our worship team's gonna come up. Let's be a posture of prayer.